Welcome to Americans Conversations. And today we have Judy Lamborn, who has become a quick prayer warrior for all of us trying to get people out of Afghanistan and also save kids uh, who are targeted for the COVID vaccines. And Judy, uh, thank you for doing this interview because I was blown away by the video that one of our mutual, one of our mutual friends, Wayne Black, sent to me when you were calling out the church uh, to get involved to protect the human race and save humanity. Tell us a little bit about your background in terms of your ministry. Sure. I've been in full-time ministry for decades and in various different types, from pastoring to humanitarian outreach to inner city ministry. And so I've watched and seen a lot. I've been in the human trafficking side, uh, you know, for a while as well. So I've watched and I've seen a lot of the evil that the world has to offer. And I've also seen the church's response uh, to many, many of the things that we're facing today. But there has never been such a formidable task as what has been happening in Afghanistan and what has been happening here, right here in our backyard, dealing with this COVID-19 nonsense. It is extraordinary because it seems that there is every every time you turn a corner, it, it's just things, people know things are wrong. Right. Yeah. And the, the temptation is you get to the point where you want to throw your hands up in the air and say, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? This task is so big. This problem is so big. You, you're frustrated because you see the corruption. You see the hypocrisy. You see the blatant lies. You see the agenda. But at times, like I said, you feel like you're, I'm just one person. What am I able to do? And I, that was unacceptable to me. With technology being what it is today, I made the decision, I don't care if I have a thousand followers or if I have 20 million followers, I'm gonna make use of what technology is offering me and I'm going to make my voice heard. And that's why you and I are sitting here today because I just made up my mind that I'm gonna do what I can do. And if just one voice can make this much noise, imagine if the entire body of Christ were to raise up to start speaking out and making our voice heard, they would have to pay attention to us. Tell us uh, where you, what makes, I mean, what do you think is going on with the churches and the synagogues? Because the one thing that I've seen is that there's a, there's a, there's a level of, of silence. And de Gaulle said, silence is the ultimate weapon of power. And Mandela always said that education is the most powerful weapon. So we, you know, it seems to me we, we have a lot of ignorant people, just passionate people, um, people who are woefully ignorant, they don't want to know, and they're, they're like sheep driving to the cliff, and people are telling them that they're going to fly like birds if they jump off the cliff, but we know that they're going to fall to the ground. Why are we living in such a tumultuous time, and, and why doesn't the church speak out? church leaders. And I don't care what faith they are. I don't even care wh whether they just believe in a higher power and there's no denomination. But why aren't people speaking out with their souls? I think there it, there's there's a lot of reasons, Christine. I think fear being one of them. Um, we have seen church leaders who have been bold to say, no, you're not going to shut my doors. No, you're not going to shut my mouth. You're not going to muzzle me. We have seen those bold church leaders uh, face the retribution of those decisions, which has kind of um, had a blanket of fear effect. Uh, there is 
But what, what is the fear all about? Because I'm having a hard time believing. Why is everybody? I mean, yes, people are losing their jobs. People are being challenged over COVID. But why does there's there seems to be a thicker layer of fear here? Well, sure. I mean, we know where the root of fear comes from. It doesn't. I mean, it's fear of government, fear of retribution, fear fear of what could happen. And I think what we're dealing with here the most with this COVID-19 uh, issue is fear of the unknown. All of a sudden, this was thrown upon us. Everybody had to deal with it, not just the church, everybody had to deal with it. But it seemed like there was a focused attack on the church, shut the doors. Even when I was in California at the time, you, you can go to church, but you can't sing. Right, and right. The instructions were beyond ridiculous to the point where you got, you're realizing, wait a minute, this doesn't have anything to do with a virus. This doesn't have anything to do with public safety. There's an agenda here, but you you get to the point where in the, in the word it says we are supposed to submit to the authorities. We're supposed to submit to government authorities. And there is also, I believe, the lie that that some church leaders believe the separated separation of church and state. That the pulpit is not a place for politics. The pulpit is not a place for politics. And I well, if you put everything, yeah, but if you put everything into the political arena, that's that that may be so. At the same time, if you have the churches infiltrated by the state, which mm -hmm. is what has happened in, in beginning in February of this year, I was on White House phone calls. Mm -hmm. uh, this is before they asked if you were a member of the press, and so I would listen in on these White House faith-based phone calls. And I heard with my own ears from the White House, from Biden's White House, Office of Faith Base, to people who called in. So there's thousands of people across. And they asked for the faith-based leaders to get married to the Black leaders and Black communities and the unions and to hold COVID events at churches because they are, they're held in trust in the community. And they wanted to, quote unquote, and these are their words, not mine validate the COVID vaccine. At that point in time, I said, my God, what is going on in this country? Because this is, this is, this is, they shut down the churches. They told you that you couldn't sing if you came in. Mm -hmm. They told you that you had to go virtual. They told the church leaders to have them temperature taken and mask and sign in, and you may be held liable and everything like that. And then all of a sudden they're saying, no, open it up and have COVID events with a slip of a switch right after the inaugural. And I said to myself, and this is not, this doesn't have to do with politics. This has to do with control. Yes. So, but why are, pe why are, why are church leaders submitting to this? Whew. It's, it's an excellent question, Christine. Um, you Money? see Money will have something to do with it. Yeah. And that goes along with fear. That goes along with fear. Uh, even though the gospel is free, the pipeline that carries it is not. And I think what we will eventually see is if we have church leaders that are here in the nation that are more that that are overwhelmed with the concern of shutting doors, money not coming in, um, and fear of the government, fear of retribution, fear of backlash, of standing up for, for what is right and what is biblical, then we're, we're going to see what exactly has happened. We're, you're going to see exactly what has happened, which is there's what needs to happen, Christine, is the pulpits need to be ignited. Our pastors and our leaders need to be emboldened to preach the truth of the gospel with the body of Christ being engaged in the community. 
We are great at holding church services. We're great at being nice people. We're great at having coffee and donuts and welcoming and, and having a very non-threatening atmosphere. But what's happened is I believe that there has been a almost like a a false sense of security that this is what the church is designed to do. And what's happening is God is shaking it up. His church is designed to be bold. We are designed to be empowered. We are designed to be in influential within our communities. I have never uh, called senators, congressmen, uh, sent emails and been involved like I have been now. Because what I've seen is that the government believes the church is not going to do anything about it. Why do you think they were so emphatic about shutting the doors? They know the power that's in the church, Christine. They know how powerful the church voice is if it unites and it moves as one. This is the thing that I think that not only the government, but the enemy, most importantly, the enemy, uh, which is Satan, the devil, is terrified of. The body of Christ rising up, taking its authority, being the voice that it was designed to be because he knows there's no weapon that he has in his arsenal that can defeat it. Did you get any response from these people when you wrote to them? Yeah, I did. As a matter of fact, I wrote to, I live in St. Louis, Missouri. So I wrote to uh, Ann Wagner. I wrote to Josh Hawley and I wrote to Roy Blunt. Uh, all three of them sent me a canned response in my email saying that they were, they understood that the travesty of what happened in Afghanistan and the colossal disaster that the pullout was, uh, the senseless loss of 13 uh, of our military members, the loss of life there. And they, what they did in their responses while I was, I was glad to receive a response, but it didn't tell me what they were going to do to keep this issue in the forefront. I didn't get a commitment that I was looking for to say, you know what, I am going to do what I can to keep this issue in the headlines. Christine, when we hear about women, female judges who are being actively hunted down and targeted by the Taliban. Over, over 200, over 200. Over yeah. 200 now for revenge executions. Why are they being sought out? Because they did their job. What is their crime? Being guilty of being a woman and being empowered to do their job? Right. No. Right. What about right. the journalists that are being hunted down and targeted by the Taliban because they were bold enough and courageous enough to tell the stories of what the Taliban actually does? What is their crime? Doing their job? Being a woman? What about the female volleyball player that we just found out from the New York Post article that had her head chopped off? Why? We did, we did an interview with somebody in Af inside Afghanistan yesterday who confirmed that because, you know, you have to be careful about what's truth and what's not truth. And they said that, yes, that that, that happened. What is their crime? Being a woman? Being yeah. a girl? Can you imagine being inside Afghanistan and you were born, let's say, maybe 18 years ago? All you've known is mm -hmm. having America there, having the U.S. military there, when being a little girl, living a life of freedom, having dreams and hopes and, and the thoughts of having a career and getting married and having freedom. And then all of a sudden, in less than a few days, everything has been taken from you. And now you find out that you have to run for your life and that the best that you can hope for is to be a sex slave or to be um, someone who has to be completely covered up and have no rights and no dreams and no hopes at all. No. If there's something that I can do about that, if I was one of those girls, if I was one of those female judges or one of those journalists or any woman in Afghanistan, for that matter, I would want somebody doing what they could on this side of the world. And that's why I did what I did. When Wayne came right. to me and told me what he did, I, my first response is, what can I do? I'm just Judy Lamborn living in St. Louis. I have a computer. 
I have social media and I can make technology serve me. Yes, I may only, I may not have as millions and millions of followers yet, but I can influence the ones that I do have. And if everybody would adopt that mentality and make their voice known and make our elected officials accountable to do what they, they campaigned that they would do, we would see a difference, especially if the body of Christ would stand up and do it. You know, for the, as you well know, for the, for the last uh, 20, almost 22 years, I've covered human trafficking all over the world. You know about that, that arena as well. Mm -hmm. And the thing that just makes me cringe at this point in time, there was such a campaign after 9-11 when we went into Afghanistan, we were going to help the women and help the children in Afghanistan, give them democracy, give them freedom. I'm not talking about nation building, but that was one of the, the themes that came out of the Bush administration at the time. It wasn't just a reaction to 9-11. It was also this was justified because right. the Taliban were such savages and they still are savages. Right. But all of a sudden now with the pullout, where the, 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 the anti-human trafficking NGOs that I have covered and known and they haven't stepped forward. And I think to myself, so what were you in the arena for folks? This is the type of, this is where you test it, whether people are committed to this. Um, and, and we can't even save the people who were working alongside. And, and these are commandos. These are intelligent commandos. These are people who are spies for the U.S., worked alongside the, 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 co the ally coalition. These are people who have families. These are people who we promised that they would have, that some of them have SIVs that Todd Wood and I have uh, interviewed in the last couple of days. And there's many, many people that are left behind. And there's people who are military over here trying to help them get out. And State Department who, who, who just takes your information or a senator or congressman, right. a just takes your call or sends a feckless letter, okay, to yeah. their constituents. Yeah. But it's like either people don't give a damn or they just don't know what to do because they don't know what pressure to put on those sitting at the table who are making these stupid decisions that have long lasting consequences on people who we gave our word to. Right. I agree. It's, it is almost like we don't, we don't care about giving our word to anybody. I think lately we have been given, we have been handed a great example of what can happen when a group of people who have authority and are empowered and are moving as one can make a difference. And just this morning when I woke up and I found how the National Association of School Boards had to backtrack what they did in the letter that they sent saying that parents were domestic terrorists because we, we, we were bold enough to stand up in school board meetings and speak out you know, on behalf of our children. That's an example of what can happen. There are millions upon millions of people who identify as Christians, followers of Christ, believers in the United States. Imagine, Christine, if every single one of them decided, I'm not going to stop calling my congressman. I'm not going to stop calling my senator. I'm not going to stop contacting the State Department or the White House until you do something about this. What would happen? They would have to pay attention. But it's a matter of laying down petty denominational differences. I can't play nice in the sandbox with you because I'm Pentecostal and you're Catholic, or I'm Methodist and you're Lutheran, I'm Presbyterian, and this. And we need to lay down. None of these that matters. 
None, uh, of, none that, of it matters. Do you think it matters. matters to those female judges, whether or not I speak in tongues or not? No, they just want to get out to safety. Do you think it matters right. to those journalists, whether or not I take communion or be baptized one way or the other? No, we need to lay down those stupid, petty denominational differences. We need to link arms as the body of Christ, and we need to hold the government's feet to the fire until they do something about this. We are more powerful than we think. The government knows we're more powerful than what we know. We need to unify. Why do we think some of these movements that we've seen in the past couple of years raise up uh, and be such a loud noise and demand that attention be placed on them? Because they were unified in their approach. If the body of Christ would do this, there's no one that could stop us. No one. You know, um, I'm pretty known as being irreverent. I don't really give a damn about authority. I don't give a damn if you're the Pope or the president, if you're involved with making policies that, that, puts people in danger. I just, I, I, I just, I, I don't care what your title is, mm -hmm. but I know other people do. And they're very much afraid. Uh, they're afraid of being judged. For instance, they're afraid of losing a family member, you know, or a friendship or, 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 you know, their boss says, Oh, you can't really say that in public. I think you can't because we only go around once. This is not the rehearsal, but what is it? What is it that, that, I mean, how do we encourage people to get engaged? Well, what's the, the mechanism for doing that within the church? Because that's not my arena. I mean, I speak to churches and I and I shame them. I mean, I took on the Catholic uh, sex scandal globally, you know, over 20 years ago. So what is it that we need to do? Because it's a different time. It's a different climate. We know this is a COVID era. But at the same time, what do you think is going to work, Judy? There needs to be a mindset shift. The way we approach church, the way we do church, the way we think about how we can influence uh, our atmospheres, it starts in the home and it starts in our individual communities. It starts with a mindset shift. We need to look at it differently. We need to realize that we are a voice. Not only should we be that welcoming, warm, accepting place that no matter who you are, what you've done, um, you can still come to Jesus. And he is, he is going to help you get free from whatever you need to get free from. We still need to do that. But there needs to be a mindset shift. There needs to be a rising up. And you need to reach a point where it's, I'm not going to take this anymore. I've been pushed around enough. What do you do? When, when with a bully, any bully, you stand up to them. And when the bully right. realizes that you stand up to them, you quickly realize that that bully didn't have as much power as he was telling you he had. That's exactly what needs to happen. In individual communities, pastors need to be encouraging their congregants, their parishioners, whatever you want to call them, their sheep, their members, whatever you want to call them, get involved in your community, run for school board, run for city council, call your congressman, call your senator. If we want to see a change, instead of sitting around complaining about it in our coffee chats, we need to make our voices known by sending emails, making phone calls, and make them pay attention to us. We need to get back to, we don't have to submit to ungodly uh, leadership. There's a difference between someone being in power and someone being a leader. You're not a leader if nobody's following you. And what we're, seeing, what we're seeing in Washington and what we're seeing in our state capitals today is a lot of people who are claiming to be leaders, but there's nobody following them. And all we're doing is complaining about it. That doesn't do any good, Christine. We've, got, we've been given a mouth for a reason. We've been given 
opportunities like technology and phones for a reason. Let's use them to our advantage because we as the body of Christ, what we want is the right thing. We don't want five-year-olds being forced to be injected with a vaccine they don't need. We don't want to see kids continue to be trafficked. We don't want to see drug addiction continue to run rampant and crime in our streets. But complaining about it and posting angry posts on social media about it is not going to change anything. We need to hold the people who are in positions of power accountable until they do the right thing. That's, that's what needs to happen. There needs to be a mindset shift in the church that we are, there's a whole section of being involved in the community. We're good. We're good at food pantries. We're good at clothing boutiques. We're good at doing events of, of helping people, helping the poor, feeding the poor, welcoming them in, providing drug addiction counseling and, and grief counseling and those things. But getting involved in the civic arena, getting involved in making our government officials pay attention is something that we need. We need to kind of stoke the, the and fan the flames of, of that fire more. You know, when you when you were talking like that, it, it reminded me of something that Bonhoeffer wrote uh, during World War II, and I can't remember exactly where he wrote it. It might have been in, his, in the discipleship book, but we have a responsibility um, in the course of history. I think that was his quote. Our our our, our responsibility isn't changing the course of history, or something. It's something like that, and it's it resonates with me because it, if we're, what are we doing here if if we're not trying to help other people, you know, get through and get around some some of these you know inexplicable decisions that have happened across the globe, and and especially in the last two years. I mean, I, it's just it's mind boggling to me. How ignorant, I mean, how ignorant the world is in terms of not knowing history, whether it's about pharmas or whether it's about medicine or whether it's about medical trafficking or whether it's about the corruption in the, in the medical industry, what happened in, uh, in the Holocaust, understanding the second trials for, for the medicine, understanding somebody sent me last night a, a beautiful documentary. And everybody should be passing around right now. I don't know the director of it, but they, one of my colleagues, Kelly Sutton, sent it to me last night. I looked at it, and it's about the nurses that were engaged in, in killing the kids, okay, in Germany at the time. They were just following orders, and they were just they were these are for the disabled kids and the kids that, that were, were throwaways. And here we had, you know, one one of the most cultured, educated uh, countries in, in Western civilization. And they were and they were talking about the nurses and I and I watched it last night and I knew about it, but I, I said to myself, you know, how many kids, how many kids today understand that there is anything involved with medical corruption? Mm. Historically, they don't even know what the Holocaust is, but they don't even and they might just think that there's a Jewish side to the Holocaust. No, there's a medicinal Frankenstein medicinal side to the Holocaust. And it's not the first one. The Italian Boy, which is a book I read 20 years ago, is, is about in the late 1800s, they would take the poor off the street and kill them during the Victorian era so they could have fresh cadavers in the hospitals for autopsies, for medical research. So this is, I mean, the darkness of man is really... A, uh, it, it's in front of us. It's among us. And, and I think that, the, you know, one of the things that and I want to ask you about this mm -hmm. is the church capable 
the church leaders truly capable of, of, of acknowledging evil? I mean, do they really have the brains? Do they have the moral courage to stand up in this day and age and, and call it out for what it is that's going on? The short answer to that is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. So where are they? It's a great question, Christine. Uh, all of the church leaders that I have ever met in all of my years in, in ministry, in any capacity, they're good people. They're not bad people. They're not they're bad people. I think there are some, I mean, there, there obviously are some evil sure. people who rape kids. Right. But, but at the same time, where's the voices? Right. Where are the Bonhoeffers in, in 2021? Right. And this is this is one of the things that in my prayer closet and things that I've been thinking about since COVID hit, what it did to the church. All of a sudden, think about it. All of a sudden, the way we did church was completely disrupted. Church doors had to be closed. We couldn't meet. We couldn't fellowship. We couldn't we couldn't be together. And those churches that were not equipped to go digital closed their doors and some of them never opened back up. Could it I be? Know. I heard about that. A, fr a friend of mine is uh, who's a, a, a chaplain mm -hmm. was explaining to me that uh, out here in the rural area of Maryland on the Eastern Shore, she was explaining to me that some of the, some of the black churches it weren't tech savvy. So mm -hmm. a lot of them didn't even have their services online. I did not know that. All right. Uh, I had other friends of mine that my church, you know, they had the choir and everything and they were rocking and rolling for, for their ministry. But I, I was thinking in 2020, my dad was a daily communicant in the Catholic Church. Since the age of seven, he died at 90. He was in a Bible class until he was 90. And I remember thinking at one point last year, what would my father have done? He would have gone to church anyways. He would have figured out how to get in into in, he would have figured it out. And I thought to myself, why is everybody allowing this to happen? Yeah, it is. It is. It's a great question. Um, we have seen, I think, I can't speak for all. Yeah. But we have we have seen some of those pastors, like our brother, our brave brother in Canada, who stood up for what was right. right. What was his, what's his name? Because he, he's he. What happened to him? He got off the plane and got arrested. Yes, he did. Um, I'd have to look. It's it's. I forget. Yeah, let me. Because that was that wasn't too long ago. He was here in the United States and he was going around to the churches explaining what happened, and then he went back to Canada and was arrested. Yep, he was. And they made a public show of it. Mm -hmm. They absolutely made a public At the uh, airport. just just as a if you don't want this to happen to you. Right. You no. Know? Um, let's see if I can find this for you quickly. Yeah, I, I think that part of it is there we go. Um. Pastor Arthur Pawlowski, P-A-W-L-O-W-S-K-I. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was jailed for holding church services in Calgary, Alberta, and refused to obey uh, what they were saying because, it, I mean, he's from Poland. So imagine mm -hmm. what he's lived through. He's, you know, mm -hmm. and he's seeing it. I, I remember listening to him say, I'm not, we don't want to go through this. I know what you're trying to do. I recognize this. And even secular people, like I saw um, the singer uh, Pitbull saying, you know, 
if you don't like what's happening, if you don't like the United States, oh, I can't repeat what he said, but (laughs) you can't, I could, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but in a sense, Christine, that's kind of the attitude we need to start adopting. Listen, I I'm an American and I'm a citizen of the United States. I love my country. I'm not going to sit by and and watch this just happen and not do something about it. If what I can do is send an email or I can make a video and post it, then I'm going to do that. If I can run for school board, then I'm going to do that. What can I do to help solve the problem? And I think the body of Christ has neglected to realize how powerful we really are. But God in his mercy is stirring the fire. The Holy Spirit is fanning the flames and people are waking up and saying, no, I'm going to be a part of the remnant army of God. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to make my voice known. I'm going to link arms with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are going to see change happen. America will be saved. America will be saved. It is not going to fall into the hands of people who hate our country, who want to teach our kids critical race theory and shove systemic racism down their throat. America will be saved. The fires of revival are going to be ignited in this nation because we are, the church is waking up. It is waking up. How it's going to all pan out, I don't know, Christine. I don't know how it's all going to happen. But I know. Let me ask you, and you don't have to get into the personal story, but this this is when when people are enslaved, what's it take for them to wake up? Because I know I know that I had a pivotal moment 20 years ago when I when I did my first human trafficking, and that's slavery. Okay. It's just it's slavery never ended. I mean, it's just changed and it morphs into a different picture from one generation to the other. And that's one of my my main messages to people is don't think you're above being being a slave owner because you are if you don't stand up. And I remember being in Tirana and I was it was a group of uh, about 18 girls and they were waiting for their uh, documentation to go back to Ukraine, Moldova, and Romania. And through the translator, I explained who I was. And one of the girls piped up and said, nobody cares about us. And I remember being choked, choked up at the time and told them that, yes, they did. Yes, people do. People I know do. And then when I, when I came out of my bubble uh, of, of that long, long investigation all over Europe and Western, Eastern Europe and the Balkans, and it decided to take it globally, it took, I, I had high expectations that people that I had known would join the forces. And then there were other people that surprised me that joined the forces. And some of the church leaders did. But now that I see the church leaders, victims, hmm. victims of being slaves, holding back their voices. I see Americans holding back their voices and, there, and other people not even realizing <laughs> that they are enslaved by this policy in this. And it doesn't matter whether it's Afghanistan. It doesn't matter whether it's COVID. And I'm not talking about American politics. I'm talking about the fact that they're being told what to do, which is the antithesis, the antithesis of what it is that we know as our culture. I traveled overseas all my life. And I used to always be grateful coming back to America because there was a sense of, you know, maybe there was too much commercialism and too much consumption, okay, in this country compared to some of the third world countries I went to. Right. But at the same time, I was grateful because I knew this country. Now I take a look at this country and it's like, it's the third world. And I can't even get people to understand this is, and, and these are friends of mine. 
This is not acceptable. And then I hear from friends of mine who were overseas who had lived under communism or friends here in the States who had lived under communism, tyranny, socialism, in the bad sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And they say, what, what is wrong? <laughs> what is wrong with Americans that they don't see this? Right. Are we just spoiled? Are we ignorant? Are we naive? Or we just go along to get along because if you're on one side of the bridge, you're playing the game. I take a look at the China influence in Washington, D.C. with members of Congress, both House and Senate. Yeah. I take a look at U.S. corporations playing around to get the economic gain in China. I see for years in Africa, Latin America, the Chinese CCP economic coercion on those continents. We see the U.S. pharmaceutical companies negotiating overseas for the COVID vaccines and then their economic coercion that these people or these countries are supposed to pay, even if they find, this is written in some of the documents, it just blew my mind. Even if they, pay, even if they find a cure for COVID and these foreign governments, have ordered vaccines, or shots, I call them shots because they're not really vaccines, from the U.S. pharmaceutical companies. They're supposed to pay those. And people sign these documents, and I'm sitting there saying to myself, somebody's getting bribed here because nobody on earth would be that stupid to sign a document like that. That's coercion. Sure. Yeah. But, we, but everybody seems to sit back. And so I don't, I don't have the answers. I don't have the answers, but Judy, tell me how you're going to take on the churches and wake them up, because it's one thing to take on the politicians. How do we take on the, on the church leaders and tell them this is their job? This is their calling. This is why they're at the pulpit. Right. I think. And, it, and it's not politics. It's not separation of church and state. No, this no. is a moral issue. Exactly. A moral issue is not politics. There's going to have to be a mindset shift. There, within within the leadership of the church uh, in America, there has to be a mindset shift and there has to be an emphasis put on this. And I think this is what COVID might have done because there were things that were stripped away from the church, things that we've never had. To, I've never had to deal with this in my life ever seen things like this happen in the church. COVID did something to the church. It did something to church leaders. It woke up something because some, unfortunately, sometimes something has to happen like that in order for us to wake up. I mean, my story is like that. I, I reached the bottom talking about trafficking. Um, it wasn't until I reached the bottom trafficking myself till I woke up and thought, wait a minute, there's got to be something better for my life. And I think this is where the church is at. Wait a minute. We don't have to do this. We can stand up for ourselves. We don't have to allow uh, just silently sit by and, and be obedient sheep and, and, and not rebel against us. The words defiance, the words rebellion, the words stand up, make your voice known. Oh, is it, They're not bad words within the church. What was the, what was the phrase of Bonhoeffer You stand fast? Stand fast. Yes. Be steadfast. Yeah. Stand yeah. up for what is right. Yeah. I think yeah. we need to revisit the power that is in the church. I think there are people that know, and that there's people that know the power within the church if we function together in unity. And this is why they they seek so hard to keep us divided, to keep us 
divided, but we need to unify. There needs to be a mindset shift. There needs to be emphasis, focus, and energy put on what can my particular church do to be influential within my community. It's not just going to be one church. It's not just going to be the Catholic church or the Lutheran church or the Presbyterian church or the Pen. It's going to be every church within their community taking responsibility. Is, Is my governor's number on my speed dial? Is my state representative's number on my speed dial? Hey, wait a minute. What is being voted on? What is, because... Christine, I'm ashamed to say, do you, I, I'd have to look it up. I should have done it before we were speaking. The percentage of people that voted in the last election that call themselves a believer, a Christian, or a follower of Christ is abominable. They just, they don't want to get involved. They, oh, I'm just one person. What difference is it going to make? Nothing that I say is ever going to make a difference anyway. That's exactly the lie that the enemy wants the church to believe. You're not going to make a difference. Government is too powerful. There's nothing you can do. Separation of church and states. There's no place for politics in the pulpit. And we just obediently just keep this. uh, Don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. Why not? Why not rock the boat? I think if, that's- if you're on the, you know, the, the thing is this, you know, you might rock the boat to catch some wind to sail. Well, if the boat is sinking, what difference does it make if you rock the boat? I mean, the boat is sinking. We, yeah. we need to stand yeah. up. We need to make some noise. We need to be the powerful army that, that God designed us to be. Set aside petty denominational differences and say, how can you and I work together? to see change because we've all been affected by this for the sake. I have a five-year-old granddaughter. I have, I have, I'm going to have six grandkids. I'm doing this for my kids. Congratulations. Thanks. That's a lot of diapers. <laughs> it, is, it is, but I'm doing this for them. I don't want to stand in front of my grandkids and have to answer the question, Nana, why didn't you do anything? Did you know that this was happening? What, is there anything that you could have done? But, I am not going to be silent. God gave me a voice for a reason. He, he, I have the story that I have for a reason. He rescued me and saved my life for a reason. And I intend to make sure that I fulfill what that, what that reason is. Judy, God bless you. And, and thank you for being on the team to, to bring some focus to this and focus on the, the, the voices of the church. And, and I'll stay in touch and come back. And let's talk about this journey t- t- together as this goes through, because this is going to be a long journey coming out of this black tunnel. Absolutely. We're in it for the long haul. We have no plans to give up and we're going to see answers soon. America will be saved. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. You're welcome.